You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. Uh, Sarah and I are coming at you today with a crazy intense (laughs) part one. Um, When we first started researching this, both of us decided, like, hands down, this was going to have to be a two-parter because... There's a lot of shit. I mean, rightfully so. It is, um, if you figured out the teasers, God only knows what those are at this point. Right. Um, well, also now this... if you've seen the title of the episode right. in your podcast <laughs> also, <that>. <laughs> also, yeah, it's come up and you're like, oh, that's what they meant. Um, this week we are talking about the history of childbirth, uh, part one, woo, from uh, prehistory to 1920, right? That's when you go yeah, up to Yeah, right about the 20s, 30s. Yeah. Uh-huh. So initially when we came up with the topic, uh, Sarah and I divided it into like four. Well, actually, Sarah divided it into four categories yeah. because y'all are going to learn that she, <laughs> this, is, this is her shit. This is something I've like always been really nerdy about. I've always thought birth was cool. Literally, like I have a distinct memory of being six maybe and getting out of bed at night and going to get a baby doll right and my mom heard me walking because moms hear everything and I remember knowing I was lying when I said I'm getting a stuffed animal because I knew I was getting a baby doll because I wanted to play birth under my covers oh my god that's amazing always been weirdly and so I've actually done like childbirth education training and doula training and I've Never done anything with it because imposter syndrome, but totally. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, I literally have like <clears throat> a small section of my bookshelf that is books about birth. Oh, my God. <laughs> and That's I, incredible. Casey, I was like, I stopped myself from rereading one. Um, so well, it's funny because like I uh, Sarah was saying before we hit record, like that you didn't go as hard because you're like, all right, let me like calm down. And I went balls to the wall. Yes, I love it. <laughs> but I think it's because I've also been weirdly fascinated with it. Maybe not to the same extent, but every time I see a pregnant woman, I just stare at them. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, there's a human inside it's cool. of you. Like, I think it's, it's cool. very cool. I think it is too. So with that being said. <laughs> yes. Not everyone thinks I have, it's cool. <laughs> not everyone thinks it's cool. So I have listed the following trigger warnings for what you will hear in the next, I don't know how long this is going to take. <clears throat> trigger warnings for children, childbirth, blood, the word placenta, men. Men getting involved in something they can never understand. Child loss, death, and binary language. And that's just the ones I could come up with. I would also add some racism, some xenophobia. Racism. Um, I don't know how to describe this one without giving too much away, but weird um, control of women's bodies, I guess. Oh, yeah. All sorts of shit. Um, If you don't like birth stuff, this isn't going to be for you. And nope, just skip to next week. Yep. Because we don't we don't blame you. This is, you know, the word forceps makes me uncomfortable, but I powered through it. So like Fair. this is gonna be kind of nasty, but yeah. like it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. So um I'm gonna just jump right in yeah. with the first thing that I fucking read. Good. Uh which was quote <laughs> Childbirth is a uniquely painful and difficult experience for humans. Cool. <laughs> And that was like the first sentence I read in research. And I was like, all right, great. We're really starting off strong here. Um, So in one BBC article I was reading, it said, quote, by studying the few female pelvises we have of our ancient human-like relatives, only six spanning more than three million years of evolution, researchers can get an idea of what birth might have been like further back in the human family tree, quote. So 
I'm going to talk about like prehistory. I'm pretty much going to go up until about like 1830s to 1850s. Um, but I wanted to kind of just like note, it's fucking insane that there are only six pelvises left of women to tell us about three million years of evolution. Yeah. So a cool. lot of the stuff that I'll talk about in early on stuff is a little bit more, I don't want to say speculation, but like it kind of is. And I'll kind of get into that. So the way that humans have evolved over time has basically made giving birth a lot more dangerous for us than it really is for any other mammal, including apes. And the reason for that is because the humans, like humans are evolved from like ape-like creatures, right? Right. And we used to walk on four legs or those creatures used to walk on four legs. But as early humans evolved to walk upright on just two legs, so their or our pelvises got smaller. Right. And then our brains got larger and larger. And it's because of this disproportionate ratio of head to pelvis size that makes the human birth experience, quote, so difficult and unlike other animals' births, yeah. quote. That's also because why, like... we have big heads, right? Yeah. That's also why most animals are born with skills, right? Like, most mammals can get up and walk within a day of being born. And mm-hmm. we're born basically, like, very early, right? Like, as yeah. early as possible. And so that's right. why babies can't do shit. While mammals can, like, clean themselves and go for a walk and all that, yeah. human babies are basically, like, wildly undergestated comparatively. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's interesting because that's just, like, one hypothesis. Hypothesis. Oh, my God. Hypothesis or theory And another is that, like, childbirth became more challenging once humans began farming, which I thought was interesting. So archaeologists found very few infant skeletons in hunter-gatherer burial sites, but found a lot more of them in farming communities. So their theory is that the carb-rich diet that farmers were able to basically use to sustain themselves for longer also made them shorter and fatter than hunter-gatherers who had a more nutritious diet and were also constantly on the move. So the women in hunter, I'm sorry, in farming communities had smaller pelvises, but fatter babies because they were more like, I guess, carb loaded and it made it more difficult, which resulted in more fatalities for both mothers and children. Hence the amount of baby skeletons that were found. Okay. Um, and I just like to note that we're six minutes into this and <laughs> I've already mentioned baby skeletons like four times. Going so great. I'm glad I said that trigger warning earlier. Yeah. Um, culturally, there are numerous depictions of pregnant women in sculptures, especially through ancient societies, but the exact use and significance of these isn't totally clear. But the female anatomy in these figurines is super exaggerated, so they believe that they're to promote or acknowledge some type of female fertility. Um, And it also might have been that women believed the figures contained spirits who would aid over fertility, um, or they were worn as like talismans and amulets to protect them during pregnancy and specifically the act of childbirth. Okay, that's kind of what I've heard, that they're like fertility goddesses or whatever right exactly um and so one of the big things too kind of just like circling back to what i said earlier is that there really was no there's not a lot of literature around this time because women didn't have their lives accounted for the same way that like men did yeah and we'll kind of talk about that too when i get into more like middle i almost said middle earth middle nope. earth yep when middle- we get to middle earth birth <laughs> when we head on over to middle earth birth oh man they're real um, short and fat they are very <laughs> <laughs> and they're elves, so like they just don't procreate for like generations. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like I would imagine they don't. I've already thought too deeply about the logistics of birth in Harry Potter, so now I've got to 
pivot. Wait, how have you thought about the logistics of birth and Harry Potter? I don't know. I'm just curious, like, do they have, like, pain relief potions? Can you just, like, Akio that shit out? I don't know. Oh, could you fucking imagine? Akio infant. Right? And it's like... I mean, probably oh not. God. But then I've also had weird in-depth discussions about, like, wizard birth control, right? Like, are yeah. there ever pregnant Hogwarts students? I gotta know. There has to be. You know what? There has to be some type of, like, potion, right? Like, right. I feel like I read enough fantasy books to be like, oh, I'm taking a contraceptive yeah. potion that's, like, gonna work. So I imagine it's probably the same. Yeah. Madame Pomfrey has her fucking work cut out yeah. for her, though. No a bunch babies of on her watch. Teenagers no baby wizards on her watch. <laughs> oh, my God. That's fantastic. <laughs> Um, so some of the things I saw in early human and ancient history was, um, like shared birth practices. So this is stuff that was pretty commonly found in Egypt, ancient Mesopotamia, um, and in that like general area. So the first thing is the use of bricks during and after births, um, was basically common in this area and women essentially place their feet or knees on a set of specially designed birth bricks and they squatted in a position that allowed gravity to aid in the delivery of the baby and then the bricks also served like a spiritual practice as it was kind of like elevating the mothers into bringing life into the world um and the midwives were actually given a lot more room to attend to the delivery of the baby because the woman was like lifted up right so that's pretty common in ancient times um the other thing is that there was like really big like importance placed on midwives and that's like a majority of who i'm going to talk about at least in my segment um because it was like not common for men to be involved in this like whatsoever right. <laughs> like basically the men just like got it in there made a baby and that was like it yeah then they weren't involved anymore which i mean i think makes a lot of sense obviously yeah that's fine um so in all of these regions, <laughs> female family members and close family friends typically attended the birth. It was usually like a pretty big thing mm -hmm. where you had a lot of people there to help in like a community sense. Um, it's going to be different from like the royalty, which I'll talk about like a little bit later on. Yeah. This isn't like a celebration of like, we've got an heir. It's more like, all right, you get towels. Right. <laughs> you get scissors. Like we got shit to do kind of thing. Yeah. Like, a, I don't know. Yeah. It's, you yeah, know what? Like like a gathering potluck or something. Everyone brings something. Yes. Yes. Like all the women like show up and they're like, here's what we're doing. Like you have women who are tending to the children who are already in existence. Right. And then you have like a slew of other responsibilities. Um, so that kind of brings me to my next thing, which was gender relations and the documentation of birth in ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia. So I really liked this segment because it's essentially just like shitting on how much men did not know. Okay. And <laughs> so basically... The primary sources that exist from this time pretty much indicate that there was very little involvement with men in any capacity, so much so that when men wrote about birth, they wrote about it incorrectly. And so I have a few examples of good. that um, because I just feel like it's such a good example of like how men are trying to, no pun intended, insert themselves into a place where they don't belong. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's three key passages of the Hebrew Bible that describe childbirth in ways that are not at all accurate with the reality of the process of human labor and delivery. And surprise, surprise, the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible is written by a man or men. So, for example, <laughs> the first two passages that mention it in detail describe infants emerging from the womb hands first. So basically like... Like, the, I don't like know, diving? Like, yeah. Like party in the USA, like hands up, <laughs> they're playing my song and like you get out of the womb. Like yeah. that's basically what I envisioned. <laughs> Dancing baby. Okay. Um, so from Genesis 25, 24 through 26, quote, 
When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they named, they called his name Esau. After his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heels, so his name was called Jacob. Quote. So, I like so, that. Sounds very causatory. Like, right. oh, yeah. well, he was holding his foot, so his name's Jacob. Right. Okay. Exactly. And Esau must mean hair, but like. Are babies hairy? What does Jacob mean? Does it mean foot? I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I guess. I like Jacob means footholder. Like what is what does oh, it mean? So it means to follow or to be behind. Oh. Comes from the word heel. So like yes. Oh wow. Actually, that's pretty that's pretty spot on. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Okay. Damn. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so in the second passage, Genesis 38, 27 through 29, the author writes, quote, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. I guess there's a lot of fucking twins in the Bible. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. So like they're like holding <laughs> they're like like okay. hands across America coming yeah. out of the womb. <laughs> Sure. Like those like paper dolls holding oh God, hands. Yes. That's kind of what I envisioned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is actually so horrifying to envision. Yeah, it's not actually good, but. No, not at all. Like there's a serious issue if that's right. why your well, baby's like, being born. A baby can come out, not necessarily hand first, but it's like your hand is next to your head. But right. that's not so, very common. And so scholars basically thought like, okay, that's maybe what they meant. But then there are other like historians that basically said like, in both of these stories, the author narrates it without any indication that something weird has happened right. in the birth, that they're just coming out, like you said, like diving. Right? Yeah. So they basically assume that hands first is the natural way to give birth. Yeah. But it's most likely written this way because the authors of the Hebrew Bible had seen birth before. It had just been in the process of cattle and sheep. That makes sense. So like when they're born, the hooves right. of their four legs come out first. And so they were like, oh, babies must be the same. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the third and final piece of evidence that demonstrates biblical man's unfamiliarity, unfamiliar, uh, whatever, they don't know what the fuck is going on <laughs> with the actual process of birth comes from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 36, uh, which describes the actions of cowering men. This is my favorite. Okay. Quote, I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor. Quote. So basically, this jabroni is fucking saying that when men are in pain, they like go to grab their dick, right? right. Like They just like. They're like, oh, my crotch, right? But, like, women, they assume, when they're giving birth, also are like, oh, my crotch, because they're giving birth. Obviously, this guy has no idea what he's talking about because I have never once in any – I've never given birth, but I've seen a lot of TV shows or, like, I watch a lot of, like, fucking videos of people, like, holding their babies for the first time just so I can feel something. And – um <laughs> Just threw that one in there. Um, and just like are like throwing things or like clenching or holding hands like their hands are above their head or they're on their back. They're on their hips like they're not like grabbing the crotch. Yeah. I, will I say, wish somebody could see other than Sarah the, the, the motions I'm yeah. making. Yeah. I will say never trust TV birth. That's its whole own life story I, that I. I believe it. About. I, yeah, I believe that. I think I just like watching like m like women cry holding their child oh, yeah. for the first time. I think that's what it is. Yeah, but, no, that's valid. I just have a yeah. lot of feelings about birth like on TV and movies and how it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> or like the baby like looks like they're four months old. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> or I was watching this show the other day and the guy on it is like an OB. And so they're showing right after he delivered a baby, right? Like the mom's been handed the baby and he's taking his scrubs off, but they're 
right completely clean like there's not oh one God. thing and i'm like why are you even throw you know he's putting them in the hazard bin i'm like why are you even throwing them away you could reuse <laughs> those like there's not one drop of any not even his gloves nothing and i was like what what are we doing guys yeah it's like a your body is opening up i yeah. mean like dude it's fucking like there's nothing that scares me more or thrills me more than the thought of giving birth <laughs> i don't know why like i remember my mom telling me like my birth story first of all i did not want to come out i was like not fucking interested in entering this world same. which makes a lot of sense yeah, now same. um and i was very comfortable i was like two or three weeks late and my mom <laughs> when she finally was like delivering me they're like honey do you want a mirror and she's like absolutely fucking <laughs> not you think i want to watch this oh, like, that sounds like on par for me yeah so um so in ancient Egypt, there are also some examples that men have been not as involved, although actually ancient Egypt seemed to have a little bit more male involvement. So there's this, like, I guess it's like a pamphlet. It's technically a papyrus, right? Right. It's called the Kahun Gynecological Papyrus. Okay. It was written around 1825 BC, most likely by a man, because I don't really think there were a lot of women physicians in ancient Egypt. Right. And... The document basically shows a lot of signs of extensive wear. It's like 34 paragraphs. And it seems like when it was discovered, there's a good deal of like retracing and patching. So that way, like it could kind of continue on to others. Like it was commonly used to help specific like illnesses common to Egyptian women. So one paragraph says, quote, examination of a woman aching in her teeth and molars to the point that she cannot can't read the words her mouth blank you should say of it it is a toothache of the womb so okay. it's basically like a lot of what they did was kind of just like acknowledge the physiological differences between men and women i guess or physical differences i don't know if that's the right way to say it um and there was a lot of like you know here's what to do if um a woman is ailing in this way. There really wasn't too much about birth. Um, there was some stuff about contraception methods. So yeah. it's kind of implied that they knew something. And there were some paragraphs that actually were written to help women struggling with labor. So the assumption is that because it was written by a male physician, all of the passages indicate that like men were somehow involved in a woman's reproductive health and birth, at least witnessed more childbirth and labor than like the fucking jabronis in the Bible did. So like- yeah. They, they kind of had, right, like they had some level of accuracy. Um, so then it kind of gets kind of cool because there's some more depictions of birth into the Iron Age, which is like in Central Europe, 800 to 400 BC. So we're like slowly making our way up mm -hmm. into more like Middle Ages. Um, and the Iron Age has a lot of representations of childbirth that capture just like the snapshots of like wealthier women. So there's a piece of Etruscan, Etruscan pottery where a woman is squatting as she's giving birth and the baby is shown like already partly delivered. And as she's squatting, she's holding on to what's believed to be some kind of tree ranch or like a frame. Mm -hmm. And a similar image is found with the woman depicting uh, depicted in like a standing position, her arms and hands stretched out and holding on to a beam or frame. And like you can see her face and the body in profile. So you can see that her pregnant belly is clearly visible and her feet are wide apart and her babies are emerging from the pubic area and the head and arms have already been born. And then I wrote, LOL, what? <laughs> because like, fuck, I like my whole body's like, <laughs> um, like both like 50% fascinated and 50% horrified. Fair. 
Um, and then there are two women who are assisting the birth. And one is standing in front of the birthing woman with her hand on the woman's belly while she's carrying some type of a vessel. And people believe that the vessel is, like, either containing water for the baby's first bath or it's there to, like, dispose of the afterbirth. And then the second woman who's aiding her um, has a hand on the mother's back to help her support, um, which could also be reassurance, like, relieving pain. You know, here's your ice chips. You can do it kind of thing. Um, And once again, it's an only female affair. So it's indoors. There's other women involved. Um, And what stands out to scholars is mostly the beam in these images because they actually believe, I thought this was really fucking cool. This is like my total history nerd. Um, (laughs) They think the beam is actually parts of a loom. And it makes sense in the context of the ages because women of high status typically were the ones who would have their lives documented. And they were often depicted as doing textile work like spinning and weaving, which requires a loom. Okay. So the loom wasn't just for like spinning and weaving. It was also for like holding on and like like basically steadying yourself as you're giving birth yeah that makes sense um i think so too and then i saw something around the same time in japan quote the birthing room which was supposed to be in the north of the house was dressed in white however this was not a private birth men male i know right or it's like how much can we get like Like some Jackson Pollock of like. Right? I guess uh, not then because I'm like, well, you could bleach it, but not then. (laughs) Oh, God. It's so gross. (laughs) I mean, it's not gross. It's a human body. It's totally natural. But like, could you fucking imagine like. Anyway, um, male and female relatives and attendants would look over the curtains. So they were like in the room, but not in the room as childbirth was somewhat of like a spectacle. And on a darker note, there was always a Buddhist monk a female spiritual medium called Amiko and other religious figures sitting nearby the mother as she labored. And they basically prayed throughout the whole fucking birth to ward off hungry ghosts, lowly spirits that gathered around people who were near death, which is like not the fucking horrifying. Not the lowly spirits. No, no. I want the highly spirits Uh, in my birth. I want the elite spirits. (laughs) Don't send me no fucking lowly spirits. (laughs) Um, so that's the Iron Age. Now we're going to get, I just tripped. Now we're going to get into (laughs) more like Middle Ages. This is very like Tudor-ish period. Um, basically I just found some wicked ass shit for this. So once again, childbirth is like a totally women only affair, but it actually becomes more private throughout like the Middle Ages. So you don't see the same level of like women gathering in a home and like all the shit going on. Um, There aren't too many accounts because women didn't record their own lives. Very few women had accounts written about them. So, like, we kind of have to go off of, like, the birth stories of the wealthy noblewomen and, like, the queens who gave birth in this time frame. Which isn't, like, a super great depiction because it's super, like, classist and basically just, like, I mean, I have some stuff about the lower class, but there really wasn't too much on it, which is so shitty. Yeah. So, fun fact, not fun at all. uh, It's estimated that one in three women died due to complications of being pregnant or giving birth during their childbearing years in the Middle Ages, which is not shocking and also fucking horrifying. Um, I can't fathom at this time knowing full well that every time you get pregnant could be that's it. Yeah, well, I've read a lot about, like, one of the things you did to prepare for baby was you made a will. Yep. That was just one Mm -hmm. of the, like, checklist items. Yeah, which I guess... Today, I feel like I've actually heard something similar. Yeah, that's true. Just in like preparing for your death so that now that you have like someone 
who's going to be dependent on yeah. you financially. But like it wasn't for that reason. Right. It was for like, like I'm most likely going to die. Exactly. So. It was like, yeah, that's a responsible thing to do now is like legally name a guardian and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they right. were just like, well, I'm probably going to die. So I should get this on paper. Yeah. So like which makes this whole thing, I think, more. This is this. is I'm going to get on a soapbox for three seconds okay. because what I'm about to go over is just so fucking mind boggling. And I truly don't understand how men have run the world for so fucking long. Not well. When they could not do a fraction, a fraction of the shit that women went through. Oh, my God. There like, was this meme on Facebook, which is obviously appropriate for right now. But it was course. like an image of a woman at a job interview. And the person said, you know, this job requires the work of two men. And the woman said, oh, so it's only part time. that's that's that that's it that's it and it's it's interesting because like the way that men begin getting involved in like birth does kind of make sense i just hate the way that it's like women get like completely pushed out of it i know you'll talk more about it but like worse than it sounds don't worry yeah and it like starts like in the time frame that i was looking at so um, okay, so some more fun facts. Again, none of these are really that fun. They're kind of fucking dark. In some <laughs> in some cases, women may not have known they were pregnant until they felt the movement of the baby at around five months, and it was called the quickening, which feels very much like a fucking horror movie. In <laughs> um, the Middle Ages episodes of I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant, you could do different pregnancy tests to determine whether or not you were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of that was to look at the color of the urine, and if it was a pale yellow or cloudy white, the women may be pregnant. I mean, Other tests included examining a needle left in the urine to see if it rusted or seeing what happened when they mixed wine with the urine. Okay. So they definitely were like, okay, so pee, something with pee. But I mean, your pee should be pale yellow or clear because then you're drinking enough water. But people in the Middle Ages didn't drink water. They drank beer. Because water was dirty. Yeah. Fine. Um, lack of menstruation wasn't just because of pregnancy. So they couldn't always say, oh, you're not bleeding out of your vagina for seven days every month? Okay. You know, like, yeah. it could also be related to, like, illness, excessive fasting, poor diet, breastfeeding. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so they couldn't really, like, just say, oh, that's why it's happening. Uh, women relied very heavily on the experiences of other women around them for support and help. Um, which meant that birth was predominantly women's business, physicians and doctors, who, of course, were all men attending, like, only if there was some type of extreme circumstance. Right. So the best example I found was Jane Seymour, who was the only one of Henry VIII's wives to produce a male heir. Yeah, the, so and the best one. she, mm-hmm, of course, right, the elite. She was the elite, <laughs> the elite spirit. Yes. <laughs> um, and she actually ends up dying anyway, but... Isn't Jane Seymour also alert. an actress from, like... I think so. Yeah, she's an actress and she like makes jewelry or something. Yeah, it sounds familiar. I think I feel like I used to confuse. I mean, he's so many wives. He's got six wives and I always kind of got confused. And they were all named Catherine or Or Anne. Yeah. Yeah. There was only one Jane and she died. Yeah, I just know the Um, little poem. That's all I know. Yes. Mm hmm. Um, I know the entire musical score of six. So if anyone's ever interested in hearing me sing that, I won't ever do that. But (laughs) um, (laughs) so if women had (laughs) if women had the funds or connections, uh, they would have also gotten advice and support from a midwife, which meant that midwifery 
midwifery midwifery was midwifery midwifery was a little bit more high end at this time before it starts to become more commonplace. So my question for you is knowing how well you know this stuff, <laughs> are midwives making a comeback? And I feel like hiring a midwife is still something for more, I don't want to say the word privileged, but like, I don't know how common it is yeah. for midwives, midwives so, to be involved. So it is kind of making a comeback, at least in the US, where there was like basically none for a while. It kind of depends... So this is like, how do I make this not boring? There's two types of midwives now, right? Like okay. when we say midwives back in the day, that was a home birth midwife, like kind of practically trained by being an apprentice, whatever. Mm -hmm. And those still exist today and they're almost never covered by insurance. And so even okay. though their services are like a lot cheaper than a doctor, you have to pay out of pocket for them. Right. Okay. And so you have to have the money to pay like $5,000 out of pocket for that okay. type of midwife so it's harder to get access to but we also have certified nurse midwives who can deliver in hospitals and they okay. do basically everything but surgery right so obstetricians are trained surgeons and midwives aren't and they okay. have like the more natural approach and a lot of those are covered by insurance and so you can go to hospitals or practices that offer both okay um, they're still not nearly as common as doctors but they are kind of becoming more common again so like if you're just like i'll just say a regular midwife for this example and you want to have a home birth yeah that's who would attend you right yeah if you're having and then if you like want to give birth in a hospital you would have like a registered a nurse mid nurse midwife is yeah. that is that what that okay yeah so then what's a doula so a doula isn't like a medical person at all they don't do the birth they're like a support person so they're just okay. there for like physical support, mental support. A lot of them help with like advocacy. So if you really don't want something, they help you like, hey, here are what your choices are and what they mean and make that okay. decision. So it's just a trained support person. It's like a life coach to birth life. Basically. Yeah. That's cool. I feel like I feel like one day when I have children, I'm going to need that because I don't know how Eric's going to do. Yeah. Uh, they're really good for like <laughs> partners usually. Highly recommend a doula. Um, yeah. And they're shown okay. to, I mean, they like reduce C-section rates and risks and all these things. Um, right. And there's a lot of research that shows like in America currently our maternal mortality rate sucks, especially for black women and women of color. And doulas yeah. are like a proven way to reduce that. Okay. Um, and so there's something. Because they're able to advocate more than maybe the woman who's giving birth. Yeah. And they kind of know what's okay. going on and can say, you know, you need to do X, Y, or Z. Um, and so there's a lot of movements to have them covered by like Medicaid or things like that. Gotcha. Okay. So I wasn't totally off in thinking that like midwives are sort of for the, I don't want to say elite. I just yeah. mean like, it's like an extra, if you can afford it, yeah. like you can have like a nurse midwife and a doctor, right? Yes. So a nurse midwife is always backed up by an OB in case there's okay. something that needs to happen. But like a home birth, like direct entry midwife, you usually have to pay out of pocket for. So you would mm -hmm. need to have a chunk of money and it's been sort of like gentrified, right? It used to be in the times we're talking about today, lower class people only had access to a midwife and now it's kind of like the cool rich white lady thing to do. Okay. That's, that's, that was the vibe I got. That's why yeah. I literally put that question in there. Yep. Okay. So speaking of rich white ladies, noble women, yes. <laughs> which is basically the queen or like high class ladies 
would typically close themselves in their rooms for a period of time before they gave birth. They called this the lying in or taking her chamber. For queens especially, giving birth to the potential heirs, it was really, really fucking important that they did this and also really important that they had like this special and elaborate service held by the church just before they did this. So the ceremony would basically be like, you know, like a service that was to pray for a safe and blessed birth for, you know, the incoming heir or just like, you know, potentially other heirs because technically the infant mortality rate was fairly high. Um, And then afterwards, after the ceremony, the queen would go into her private rooms and it's pretty much believed that like, the common women also did this in a more subdued way. Like they might go to church and then like return to their homes. Um, that's like common slash middle class, but actually lower class women pretty much like worked right up until they were literally fucking crowning Yeah, because there weren't any substitutes to call in like, Hey, listen, I can't fucking plow the field today. I'm giving right. birth. I'm you able to- right. <laughs> exactly. Um, very, very important. Men were not allowed in the private room or rooms and the expectant mother was only attended to by other women. Like I said, men were only called in in like emergency situations or like situations like Jane Seymour, which was like, you know, tending to the birth of the heir. And also she wasn't like doing well. Yeah. Um, around the room, tapestries were like displayed and they actually would be hung over the windows to block out as much light as possible. And only one single window would be left open to bring in fresh air. Um, because they believed, (laughs) I don't know why this is so funny to me. It's just like, because they believed that too much light would damage the mother's eyes. Okay. (laughs) That's science. So like, I'm like, I'm like thinking like, well, what the fuck has she been doing for the last like Like, eight and a half months? Yeah. Well, only now. She's been out in the light. Right. Like the last two weeks are critical. Um, you'd also find crucifixes, other religious items kept around the room. They essentially wanted to recreate the space of a womb dark warm and quiet which gives me fucking chills dude i saw that and i was like i don't like that funny i've never heard it compared to the womb there's a thing you see a lot of people say and then and then of course people are like this is somewhat exclusionary but it's that like having a baby should be an environment similar to making a baby right obviously assuming the way you make a baby is sex that it's like dark like small lights (laughs) music playing that kind of thing (laughs) Is like a thing I've seen people say. What if? <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining like, what if you're like conceived in the back of a fucking pickup truck? Well, like that, that's where you gotta go. <laughs> I actually like that. That's really funny to me. Um, obviously, there was a lot of pain associated with childbirth, even in this time, <laughs> which was always thought to be due to Eve's fall from grace in the Garden of Eden. Obs. This was her original sin, so all women had to suffer. Lottie fucking da. So religion and faith <laughs> were huge parts of this because the lack of pain meds and the fact that women knew full well they could probably die. So like there was a lot of like praying, chanting. Right. They recited religious, you know, whatever, hymns or whatever the fuck. My favorite fact was St. Margaret was a fan favorite of birthing mothers because <laughs> she was the patron saint of pregnant women. Okay. Because she was eaten by a dragon and then spat out again by this dragon because she was holding on to a crucifix. Okay. And I truly couldn't think of a better fucking comparison to giving birth than a dragon <laughs> spitting you out. Like, damn. I love it. <laughs> um, midwives were super important during birth. They had had years of experience, like you said, um, delivering babies, working apprenticeships. They had a shit ton of knowledge. Um, 
at this time and as time progressed in order to be a midwife, you had to be, quote, a woman of good character who was greatly trusted, quote. Um, and you, I loved this too. You had to take an oath that promised that you wouldn't keep anything from the birth. So when I first read that, I was like, the fuck you keeping from the birth? And then it goes on to say, such as the umbilical cord or placenta, which you could use for witchcraft. Oh, so like, okay. Fair. Oh, that sounds totally fair. I would not think about stealing a placenta, but, you know, maybe yeah, some women you know. did. No judgment. Um, <laughs> the role of the midwife was also to maybe suggest different ways to deliver the child, sitting in a birthing stool or being cradled from behind. There was very little to no indication of women, in some cases, being like in a bed yeah. on their back, especially lower class women, higher class women. It's different, especially queens, um, yeah. because the the whole process of giving birth to an heir was like a fucking public affair. Like I always think of mm -hmm. Marie Antoinette when she finally got fucking pregnant because she and Louis did it after like 15 years of being married. Right. And everybody was in the room with her. Yeah. Royals like, used to like just all be watched giving yeah. birth. Yeah. Like I can't fucking imagine people watching me in like the most vulnerable like time of your yeah, life which is why like I, like I get obviously it sucks for like kate or megan or whatever now when they have to come out of the hospital right after they give birth and like and, but i'm yeah. like yeah but it seems better than the other option i was gonna, I was gonna say i feel like the the queens of the past would be like fucking suck it up you yeah, pussies like <laughs> right? you have a dress on you're fine right yeah yeah exactly um, midwives knew a lot about like herbal remedies. They would be able to check the position of the baby. They knew to use like oiled hands and they would help uh, stretch the woman's tissues uh, before delivery. Uh, uh, <laughs> after a child was born, they would stick around for about a month to make sure that the um, baby was breastfeeding. Okay. Um, not necessarily with the mother, but yeah. with like a wet nurse. Um, and then most Again, once again, we see most medical texts written by men, most of which were clergy and members of the church, which is ironic as fuck because these jabronis took a vow of celibacy and literally couldn't yeah. have sex or enter a birthing chamber, but they were writing the fucking books about it. Um, fun fact I learned, many men of the time believed that the female sexual organs were male organs turned inwards, okay. which is why they were deemed subordinate to men as their sexual organs had not grown outside of the body. It's funny because actually, like, basically the opposite is true. Right. Like, it's just <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Um, a lot of people know this already, but, like, some people believe that women could choose the sex of their baby by the types of foods they ate, things that they drank, medicines they concocted. They had no concept that it was the male sperm that dictated the sex of the child. Um, right. And it all lay very heavily on the shoulders of women, which we probably know. Yeah. Um, another fun fact about midwives, they were one of the only women allowed to baptize a baby. That's because if the baby was sick or close to death, then they wanted to be able to baptize it before it died. Um, and so this was like the only time that it was accepted for women to do that. Hmm. Uh, cesarean sections were also not a common occurrence, typically only performed if the mother had died already yeah. and they were trying to save the unborn child, which is fucking awful. Yep. Okay, so 1700s to early 1800s. This is where this is, this was my favorite part, I think. So, by 1750, physicians and surgeons started to seek out more opportunities to attend births and incorporate pregnancy and childbirth into the medical forum. And basically, they were called man midwives, which again, can't you have anything fucking original? Yeah. Like, do you really need to do that? Whatever. So, they started to gain more acceptance throughout the second half of the 18th century. 
Um, we have the invention of the obstetrical forceps, which I'll talk a little bit about. And then this ever growing number of institutions and universities that were dedicated just to medical knowledge. So we have like medical schools basically. Right. So in the early 1700s, midwives in some American colonies were actually required to obtain a license. Um, and the rules of licensure kept the midwife's primary function as a social one. Didn't really like help her medically. Like she was still kind of, actually, she kind of started to get demeaned to maybe what it is now which is a little bit more social if that makes sense yeah like i don't think people really still think of i i don't know maybe people think of midwives as medical professionals i don't know if they do though yeah it depends you might yeah i think it depends yeah. Listen, you might know more than me so this is it this is where i get to introduce one of my favorite fucking people ever <laughs> a man <laughs> a man named william smelly yes do you know William Smelly? I think I've seen the name before, but okay. saying it out loud is great. I at first I was like, it must be Smelly, and then I was no, like, it's Smelly. Oh, God, it's Smelly. So Smelly. So Smelly. So Smelly was the <laughs> fuck. I'm gonna have a hard time getting through this. Mm-hmm. So Smelly was the first physician to place midwifery. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, on sound scientific ground. He was born in Britain, and he practiced general medicine in Scotland, and then he studied surgery in Paris before he eventually settled down in London in the late, like, 1700s. He became interested in obstetrics, and then he decided that the subject could and should be taught at his apothecary shop residence. So he literally started teaching, like, whoever wanted to learn. He charged three guineas for people to take the course. I'm assuming he meant men, but it actually could also have meant women. I I didn't really get that it was like exclusive i think it was mostly men but i think women were allowed and in order to teach childbirth he used a leather covered mannequin of bones i don't know how i don't know if that's like i don't know how yep i have questions so i think i think my answer to the question is (laughs) that you didn't ask i'm assuming leather because leather stretches right it's just the the possession of a skeleton of bones that I mostly have questions about. But that was like normal. I like, guess, yeah. I'm just picturing it's, it's, it feels very like Ed Gain in his basement covering bones and leather. No, that's totally fair. It, it and it kind of is, but I'm thinking also of that oh, fuck, what's that serial killer? Um H. H. Holmes. Oh yeah, him too. And he would like sell people skeletons. Oh, it's fucked up. Anyway. so what he did was he offered free care to the poor women of london um basically in aiding in their birth and this allowed him clinical opportunities to teach the material of actually giving birth so gradually smelly's patients allowed students to attend their deliveries so like he wasn't just like hey i'm having this guy show up like he was like is it okay if I have these students attend your, your your delivery of the child. And this started to begin the trend of having medically trained persons, a.k.a. men, attend childbirth. In 1752, he published his lectures and I think a pamphlet or book called The Treatise on the Theory and Practice of Midwifery. And he can continued to advance the practice by introducing um, obstetrical forceps that were properly designed and properly used for childbirth. So these were typically made of wood or steel and padded with leather and they were correctly curved with a simple lock design and they also were the correct length necessary to more safely 
deliver the head of a baby um, once it had descended into the pelvis, yeah. which I guess was like a standard for safety that he established. Yeah. Uh, he forceps, also put like, together. If you've never seen them, they're basically like baby tongs. Like that's the closest that's... thing I can. Yeah. I mean, they're shaped very differently, but they're basically baby tongs. And and is it to grab? It's to grab the baby's yeah, head. Yeah, and to pull, to apply force to like pull. That doesn't hurt the baby. Well, not always. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the the best I- idea, but right, right. But I mean, there are cases ugh. where it's like, like true cases of like being stuck, which are much rarer than you would hear you hear about. But like where it can be helpful if done right, right, where you're not applying a ton of pressure and you're kind of hitting the right point. But there are also right. definitely cases where babies get like um, bleeding or bruises on the brain from it um, or yeah. babies die from the, the neck being dislocated in some way and stuff like that. I was going to say, I feel like it would just pop the neck out of place. But I mean, yeah. I guess, I mean, I guess in the same sense, though, babies are stronger than I feel like we make them out to be in some yeah. cases. There's, there's like a proper way to do it. And it sounds yeah. like he was trying that, but a lot of people don't right. do it the proper way. I was going to say that's because the forceps, I guess, that existed beforehand were not good enough, like yeah. were more dangerous. And he made these specifically curved right. to, like, actually fit, like, a pelvic structure. Yeah. Um, he and his students also put together, like, systematic measurements of pelvic capacity so that he and his students could, like, differentiate between, like, your pelvic structure is normal versus abnormal versus what problems you might run into giving birth. So even though this guy's a dude, he actually does seem like he did do a lot, at least in terms of, like, understanding it. And sharing that knowledge. Um, granted, it did become like a whole man thing, but um, he opens up a pretty large practice. Um, and one of his students is an English surgeon named William Hunter. And he also eventually gave private lecture courses on surgery, dissection, and obstetrics. And he trained a lot of London's man midwives. Blah. And due to his skill and, quote, courtly disposition, uh, Dr. Hunter was in high demand as a man midwife to London's social elites. People were like, I want him birthing my babies. Yeah. Um, he also contributed a famous atlas of the pregnant uterus, which was praised in both scientific and artistic circles, as well as the discovery of a separate maternal and fetal circulation. Okay. I don't think I know what that means. Or I think I do know what I that mean, means. Is that like... Go ahead, go ahead. It's you like baby's own blood flow, right? That it's Got not it. necessarily... Okay. Conne- I mean, it's connected, but it's not... Connected, but it's the- not like the mom's yeah, and I th- blood is the baby's blood. Yeah, my guess would be like... So now, obviously, there's if I take something dangerous when I'm pregnant, like it would go Mm -hmm. towards the baby, but it doesn't go because like my blood goes into the baby's blood. It crosses the placental wall, right? And then gets into their blood that way. And so I think it probably has to do with that, that there's like a separation of some sort. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. So he, he was kind of like, he opened up the training ground for that understanding, like what went through or what a woman's body underwent during pregnancy. Um, A final fun fact about Smelly. (laughs) He was the first physician that was documented to successfully resuscitate an asphyxiated infant by inflating the lungs of the child with a silver catheter. Okay. So that's cool. Um, And then really throughout most of the 1700s leads into the 1800s, you know, a lot of the changes and advancements I put I say advancements like, you know, right. were they really advancements? Maybe not. Um, 
were linked to the prevailing philosophy of the Enlightenment. So basically, this was like a time period where there was a lot more of a rational approach to different events surrounding childbirth. So like early superstitions of like, I don't know, the light blinding a woman's fucking <laughs> eyes when she's giving birth. Um, <laughs> basically was like nixed. They were like, that's stupid. So they were encouraged to give birth in rooms with fresh air, sunlight. Um, newborn infants were no longer swaddled in restrictive linens right away. They believed that allowing them freedom of movement would promote muscle and bone development. I don't know anything about that. So who knows? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, the importance of breastfeeding was championed, which is huge. And women were urged to actually not use wet nurses anymore and do the best they could uh, could with bonding with their infants through breastfeeding. So it kind of like personalized that even more. Um, it's kind of like the early, I feel like, skin to skin contact, um, which I know is like, I feel like is a thing now. That is a thing. Um, I don't know why I know these very random facts about birth. <laughs> I think it's because I'm somehow on mom TikTok. That's probably it. I'm on mom talk mom and talk? I don't know how I got there. Yeah, I'm on dog talk. I know how I got there. Yes. Teacher talk. Yes. Yep. Book talk. Absolutely. I'm on lesbian talk. I don't know why. Okay. I'm on mom talk. I don't know why. Um, and I recently found myself on car talk and I don't think I like that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know about that one. It's very weird shit that I know. Um, so by 1775, most women of the upper socioeconomic classes in Europe and America chose to have the accoucheur, which is the male midwife, to attend them in childbirth. Um, this was probably because women believed that men were more confident in what they were doing. Um, so they were just living in their own misogyny, which happens. Um, and by the end of the 1700s, there was an increase in medical universities. And actually, I thought this was pretty cool. In King's College or Columbia, the Medical College of Philadelphia um, and Harvard, all of those, once they opened up their medical schools, obstetrics was the first specialty taught, which I think says a lot in that like, okay, well, people are giving birth, so we probably should know how the fuck that things works. are going. Yeah. Um. In America, physicians would basically replace midwives eventually. Um, but in other countries, there was sometimes considerable like disagreements between midwives and their physician counterparts. Mm-hmm. Like the people of Britain didn't just get rid of midwives as quickly as I think Americans did. No. Um, and so a lot of times the midwives in England would like butt heads a lot with like the male physicians that were a part of the birth. Um there was one 18th century midwife named Elizabeth Nile, Nihel, yeah, Nile, sure. I think, but Probably. it's spelled like Nihel. Uh, she accused Smelly of insufficiently training midwives so that physicians would be called into birthing situations more often, which I believe. Yeah. Um, over time, though, there were cases where the two professions did collaborate and midwives did receive some better training um, as the number of obstetricians increased. Uh, let's see. Once we hit the 18th, late 18th century, early 19th century, one of the big things is no longer bleeding out, but actually disease. Mm-hmm. So people didn't understand how germs and illness is carried. Yeah, they were like just infection. putting anything up there. Oh, yeah. So like a big thing was that like as the this is fucking awful. So as the population grew, a lot of the births started to leave home and started to go to hospitals. And in the hospitals, you had had women giving birth, like, within fucking feet of each other. So you have all of these, like, germs and communicable diseases that are, e- like, easily getting passed back and forth. Yeah. I mean, they um, don't know things like you should uh, wash your forceps. 
I was just going to say, yeah. So one thing was like the doctor would just go from like one woman to the next to the next to like and not wash their hands. Um, Another big thing I read about was um, motherhood in early America for enslaved Americans was incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. and and even more dangerous. Um, Infant mortality among enslaved Africans and enslaved African-Americans ranged from 28 to 50 percent. Uh, mortality in children under 10 was 40 to 50 percent because of maternal malnutrition, overwork, disease, a lack of medical access. Um, and then enslavers often blame the mothers for infant deaths. And there's evidence there is evidence that some babies were deliberately killed to spare the child um, a life of being enslaved. But most of the time, the other factors, which were like, you know, were they killed not by being treated like humans, the- their mothers. OK. Yeah, I've, and I've read I was like, accounts of that. I, I was picturing the like the enslaver. Oh, like the doing enslaver it, doing it. I was like, that seems no. wrong. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's um, it was mostly like the, the mothers. Parents. Okay, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so like I said, Europe became more crowded. America became more crowded. It was very common for bacterial infection to spread. Um, the rise of maternity wards led that people led to people giving birth within like shouting distance of each other. Mm-hmm. So in the 1790s, the first major step towards like fixing this was from Alexander Gordon, who stressed that the disease that was happening with mothers was spread from one patient to another. Um, in 1842, Thomas Watson recommended that physicians and birth attendants wash their hands and use chlorine between patients, which sounds incredibly painful, but also like, I feel like that's fucking better than having someone else's shit all over you. Um, and then five years later, Ignaz Semel Weiss reduced the rate of fever in his obstetric ward by ordering hand washing. Um, but the idea was still rejected by the medical industry at large at the time. My last fact, and then I promise I'll stop talking, is the most famous victim of disease and pure pearl fever was Mary Wollstonecraft, who was the mother of Frankenstein author Mary Shelley. In 1797, she gave birth to her daughter Mary with the assistance of a midwife. But then a doctor came in, was called to help remove the placenta, and he came quickly without having washed his hands. And Wollstonecraft died a very painful and very typical death over the course of the next week which is just my final thing to say her daughter had sex on her grave but that's another story yes yes i actually love that so much but great i mean it's not great (laughs) right (laughs) so yeah that was prehistory to like 1850 i'm gonna shut up (laughs) okay i'm gonna take over at the 1850s so this pretty much when I was like dividing up the timeline, I made we were on the phone and I was like, hold on, Casey. And I feel like I had a beautiful mind moment where I was like mapping out the times that things change. It was literally like the meme of the woman who has all yeah, the math equations around her head. But so pretty yeah. much the dividing line here for 1850 is pain relief starts to become a big topic, right? Obviously, like birth has always been painful. Like you mentioned, there's always been this idea that like that's kind of a punishment of some sense. It wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't a more evolved like that's just how it works and whatever. It was like that's punishment. But right. people start <laughs> to be like, well, other forms of pain relief exist, right? Even things like using alcohol and surgery, a lot of them are using drugs that we would now consider like illicit drugs for other forms of pain relief and people start to wonder about applying that to childbirth and so one of the big moments here is in the early 1850s queen victoria 
is giving birth and she gives birth a lot this she does that like every year but the fact that these women had and i know that it was because like child mortality rates were high but how the fuck do you like willingly go through like 15 births yeah i can't imagine i truly can't yeah and so she as the queen is like i would like some pain relief um and like we kind of talked about the way royals give birth has always had a big cultural influence so people knew about how queen victoria would give birth and when and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so what she did that's one of the big turning points is she used chloroform as pain relief holy shit um and so she had this idea (laughs) there had been some doctors who had kind of studied as a strong term i would say experimented on their wives Um, just gonna say i was like "Mm, honey could you smell this rag for me there were literally doctors who were like i don't know my wife did it she was fine but (laughs) queen victoria hears about this and is like i want that right i want the chloroform and her doctors she's using private physicians because she's the fucking queen right of course and her private physicians warn against it um their only real concern is that they think it will slow down birth because being in some sense anesthetized makes you kind of like groggy. It, it slows down your bodily functions. And I mean, right. even today, when you talk about like epidurals or the not chloroform versions, there is a lot of evidence that they can slow down the natural process because your body's not responding to the pain in the same way. Okay. I doubt yeah. they knew all that, but their fear was pain relief can slow down the birth. And I think they'd probably seen it with trying things like alcohol and other drugs that are downers. They slow down. So do you mean like alcohol, like have a shot of whiskey? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. That okay. stuff slows down um, your physiological reactions in some ways. Right. right? And so yeah. their fear was it would like slow the birth or cause an issue in that sense. So they're not having it. Um, but she continues to, to argue. There's also um, kind of a, a somewhat religious argument. It comes from Charles Meigs, who is an American obstetrician at the time. And he warned against, quote, trying to stop the natural and physiological forces that the divinity has ordained us to enjoy or to suffer. So there's also the kind of religious argument mm. of, no, it's supposed to be painful. Right. Fucking men. Yeah. I, I bet... Let me tell you, I bet if men had to go through this shit, fucking chloroform would have been used since day one. Oh, yeah. I believe it a thousand percent. Yep. So the queen, though, so she was pregnant or nursing for 16 solid years of her adult life and pretty vocally did not like it. (laughs) Um, She called pregnancy the shadow side of marriage in letters to her daughter and told her daughter that childbirth was, quote, a complete violence to all of one's feelings of propriety, which God knows receive a shock enough in marriage alone. Holy shit. So a couple years later, by 1853, she's about to give birth to her eighth child, Prince Leopold. The irony of what she said. And the fact that you just said her eighth child exactly. has not passed me. Exactly. Um, I mean, no wonder she's annoyed, right? But she's had enough and she's like, I'm the queen and you're going to give me chloroform, right? Like, yeah, you you advise against it. You're my doctor. You're also my subject. I would like some chloroform. And so they do this literally in the like most true crimey way that I think of. She has a handkerchief dipped in chloroform that she inhales for 53 minutes of her labor. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> she fucking held it to her face for almost an hour? Yes. <laughs> I thought you just needed like one hit of that shit I, and then you're I like, couldn't Ow. find if it was like consecutive or not, but it is documented that there are 53 minutes of chloroform happening. Her husband's like, no, 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 I think she needs a little bit more. No, right? no, no, I think she needs a little bit more. And she fucking loved it. She, her quote is... <laughs> 
blessed chloroform, soothing and delightful beyond measure. She had the time of her life. I think that's going to be our quote for it. Yes. <laughs> blessed chloroform. Um, so she loves it. She tells everyone about it. And because royal birth has a big impact on the culture, a lot of people start seeing this as kind of okay in some way, right? Where pain relief was, you didn't ask for it. I mean, if you go back to like the witch trial eras, era, there was, um, there were women who were burned at the stake for requesting pain relief. Like, Jesus you didn't, Christ. it was basically not an option, right? Like, it just didn't right. cross your mind. But now, you grin and bear it, like, literally. Yeah, yeah. Now, everyone's like, well, the queen had some chloroform. I would like some chloroform. And <laughs> it's also seen as very privileged, right? It's what the queen did. It's very upper class. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does start to be used more widely by both physicians and some midwives. Um, other drugs are also used. So cocaine is common or ether. Um, what the fuck is ether? It's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just an old, is it like, like an old time like drug. heroin? Um, no, I think it was like a cocaine. Yeah. Like I'm thinking cocaine. Like imagine that. Yeah. It's like things shoots out of you. Like a fucking yeah, like cocaine, ping pong ball. I don't know how it helps because the other things are all kind of downers that like chill you out in some way. Cocaine would probably like make it worse. Yeah, I, cocaine I would think. in labor doesn't sound great, but apparently they were taking whatever they can get. Um, and this medication was still being administered at home, right? For almost everybody. Okay. Whether it was a midwife or a physician, they would come and they could give you whatever drug they had on hand. Now, of course, Jesus that's Christ. that's for mostly wealthy women who could afford this and want to be like the queen or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But it was seen as kind of a social status and progress. Uh, kind of like we mentioned with the forceps, use of any anesthesia at all at this time wasn't standardized, right? You didn't have an anesthesiologist who knew how to measure it. And there was a lot of debate. Every doctor used it slightly differently. They had like their own technique for these drugs, which is not how drugs work. Um, <laughs> no, that's not how I use cocaine. <laughs> right. Um, and so there was like improper use of them, which caused complications a lot. And in a lot of cases, that was like prolonged labor because the uterus wasn't able to contract like it needed to. Um, So kind of like I was saying, the system slowed down and babies would be born with difficulty breathing because taking cocaine (laughs) affects your baby. Huh. Um, You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Breaking news. And so, like I mentioned, so in 1845, a few years before Queen Victoria did this, there was a physician named Crawford Long. And he was the first one we know of to give his wife ether as an anesthetic during childbirth, which is the earliest use we have of these drugs on record. But he didn't publish his results until after Queen Victoria gave birth. And so he actually spent his lifetime fighting to be recognized as kind of the pioneer of anesthesia and birth and in some other medical areas, but was never really given credit or, I mean, I don't know if you want credit for it, but he thought he did at the time. Um, yeah. And he was trying to get recognized, but the, he waited too long, basically. And so a lot of it is tied to the use of anesthetic during surgeries. Um, at the same time, this is coming up as pain relief in birth. It's we can also make surgery, not you're awake and like biting a bullet. And we gave you some alcohol. So like that was going to actually be my question. So anesthetics already existed for surgeries at this point. To some extent. I mean, not okay. Not what we would consider anesthetics today. There was an idea right. of like relieving pain in surgery, but they use some of okay. these same techniques like ether and stuff okay. like that. Um, yeah. 
And so there's kind of a cultural correlation of like, well, if you can do this without pain, why can't you do that without pain? You know? (laughs) Fucking ridiculous. Sorry. (laughs) Yep. So also when we get into like the 1860s in the time after the Civil War, in the U.S., midwifery is actually fairly interracial is the word I saw used. I don't know that that's the right word. But about half of people who are midwives are black women. And a lot of them are former slaves because they offered de- often delivered babies wherever right, they were. Like they, they would deliver each yeah. other's babies. They would deliver babies for like the enslaver's wife or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have a large number of non-white women who are practicing midwifery as well as indigenous women and then white women. Obviously, white men were not a fan of this. And this is of where not. you start to see them really like disparage midwifery. And so I have a nice quote from some white dude whose name I didn't care enough about to write down. Um, yep, doesn't matter. But he said, quote, the midwife is a relic of barbarism. In civilized countries, the midwife is wrong, has always been wrong. The midwife has been a drag on the progress of the science and art of obstetrics. Her existence stunts the one and degrades the other. For many centuries, she perverted obstetrics from obtaining any standing at all among the science of medicine. Even after midwifery was practiced by some of the most brilliant men in the profession, such practice was held, I don't know this word, degraded. (laughs) That's unbelievable. So basically through the end of the 1800s, these two things are the main story. There's a belief that pain relief is possible and should be available during mm-hmm. birth. And there's this start of fuck the midwives. It's interesting, too, because it's it's just such a fucking like it's like the complete opposite of like everything I even just explained. Like yeah. men were not fucking present according to like the Bible. Like, right. And, and you're saying that like midwives are like a fucking stain on the existence of giving birth yeah but all of a sudden there's like men are doctors and they have drugs people want and there's kind of i think because of the drug element there's a scarcity element that they can control more right Mm -hmm. you want this Mm -hmm. thing men have this thing yeah um and so they they kind of start these major smear campaigns throughout the rest of the 1700s or 1800s Um, Additionally, something happening at the time is there's actually a steep decline in the birth rate that starts around the 1870s. Oh, wow. When I say the birth rate, no one explicitly said this, but what I found was that that was like the white people birth rate. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was called a fertility transition. It's kind of the like term for the cultural shift. I hate that. I don't really know why, but I hate it. Yeah, it's weird. And it's not, there's no birth control yet. Right. So it's not like when the pill came out and there was a decline. It, right. It's more cultural. Um, so smaller families are starting to be seen as more normal and as signs of elitism because the people who mm. still had a lot of kids were farmers and laborers who needed a lot of kids. Right. But, or they lived in conditions that probably made it harder for children to survive. Yes. And so people okay. are moving to urban areas. Um, they're, you know, they're kind of deciding they want to have autonomy or in some sense outside of children. And so mm-hmm. they're using basic family planning methods and things like that. Obviously not the same as real birth control, but enough that it gives them a little bit of power over their fertility. Um, yeah. And I feel like we could probably do a whole other episode on this, but like the history of sex, like yeah. in terms of... um birth control like i think some of the few things i know were like sheepskin condoms shit that like yeah there's like or like women would stuff fucking rags with stuff mm-hmm. soaked in them to like prevent yeah sperm there are ways to prevent spreading. pregnancy that aren't actual like contraceptive methods but do lower your <laughs> right. chances 
right? Like, t- we don't recommend these, but yeah. yeah. It's like what they had available at the time. Right. Um, and also there being less births basically meant there was less infant and maternal deaths, right? If you had less children, right. you were less likely to die. So there Right, is- like your mortality rate for mothers and children are going to go down if there's not a lot of children being born. Yeah. And so there is this kind of correlation, too, of, oh, well, doctors are coming onto the scene and women die less in birth, but it's also they're giving birth less. Um, and they're giving birth farther apart, which having children super close together like raises your risk of mortality. Oh, um, okay. So things like that. And this was also kind of the early, very early days of a lot of what we consider like first wave feminist movements. Okay. And the way they saw it at the time was pain relief was a, a kind of feminist issue, right? It was my right to have a pain painless birth. So it's basically, oh, and this is kind of what you were saying earlier. It's like like having autonomy over your own body yes it's like early i guess it's like early abortion yeah it's gonna ideologies um, at least in that sense the idea that a painless birth is equivalent to autonomy over your body is going to backfire in a little bit um right i don't know that i wouldn't say that's necessarily (laughs) how many people frame it today um i mean there's obviously like you can make the choice today and that is autonomy um, okay but at this time it was very much like we've been told that pain in childbirth is punishment for being a woman and so woman's liberation is inherently not having that pain okay okay is- so it's not about autonomy it's more about like not being punished for being a exactly woman. okay i understand yep. i'm using autonomy in like the 21st century yeah exactly understanding um, okay so we then hit the turn of the century and there's a number of like changes just in general obviously that come with the turn of the century there's a lot of medical advances across the board right so medicine itself has gotten better and doctors are also more trusted they're more accessible um and they begin to have like normalized education and certification when someone in the 17 or 1800s when we say they're a doctor that like doesn't mean anything (laughs) like it's not definitely not every school did it differently it was different numbers of years it didn't really mean something like today it means you went to x number of school years you took this exam that everyone takes etc so we kind of start seeing that form um the economy has also shifted so people are less self-sufficient than they used to be right when you're all separated and you're on the farm you kind of have to be like a jack of all trades you have to be able to take care of a medical issue And if you're, I guess you didn't have as much plumbing, but like if something in your house breaks, you have to be able to fix that. You have to be able to do everything. When they're Mm -hmm. moving to these urban areas, it's a little bit more about like a network of providers. You can kind of outsource stuff. And so doctors fit in with that, right? Well, somebody else is trained in this and they can take over. They also in the early 1900s start forming um, medical societies to handle malpractice suits. That's basically like one of the first things that happens when doctors start getting certified and stuff is they form these (laughs) alliances to one another. They testify on behalf of each other. And if a doctor wasn't in this society, they had trouble getting insurance. So you start to see kind of the institutionalization of these things. The other fun cultural thing is immigration. So kind of up to World War One, and then after, you start to see limitations on immigration and anti-immigrant sentiments. And that reduces two things. Um, this article used the word supply, which I don't like when we're talking about people. But basically, yeah, the number of midwives who were trained elsewhere and then moved to the Americas. 
And then women who were born somewhere else and moved to America who were the most loyal clientele of midwives, right? So the midwives themselves and the people who used midwives most often are being barred from the country in some ways. So you have a lower number. And then, of course... Like at the time, I mean, also now, but at the time, there's a lot of prejudice against immigrants, um, women, people who aren't white, poor people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which are basically a lot of the tenants of midwifery, right? Right. Um, they're Well, they're also coming from countries that don't have that same like Western, yes, I guess, like look at birth, right? Exactly. They're like coming from countries who like still deliver children at home as opposed to starting to move into like wards and things like yeah. that. And even if you scroll down to like the very bottom of my notes, we'll put this in the Instagram or something. There's a picture um, and it's from like literally a pamphlet distributed by doctors. And it's just like this nice little old woman in her little bonnet. And the caption is a typical Italian midwife practicing in our cities. They bring with them filthy customs and practices. So she looks like a little Nona. So they start deliberately being like midwives are dirty. They're from other places. They're bad. And I'm going to tell you, I would want this woman at my same. I trust her with my life. Yeah. Um, And because of these different kind of statuses, they're not in a position of power. They're not making a ton of money. And they never saw themselves as like medical professionals. So they don't have societies and, you know, certifications and all that. That's not or like guilds even or like unions or whatever to protect them. There's no right communal. Yeah. That said, so as we enter 1900, about 5% of American women gave birth in a hospital. So it's still like a very low number of people. It's either mm-hmm. someone that has, you know, severe medical issues or is extremely wealthy basically. Right. Um, Midwives and home birth are still what's expected and doctors at this time will go to the home. So in the early 1900s, there's this long, boring thing that I'm not going to bother with all the details of, but basically the way (laughs) hospitals are financed has this kind of crash, right? Like that micro economy crashes. And the way hospitals work is restructured, which basically starts to create financial incentives for doctors. And that makes doctors want to start seeing well patients more than sick patients, right? Kind of up until now, hospitals were where you went to die or try not to die. Mm-hmm. You didn't go there mm-hmm. for like preventative anything. You didn't go there for something like birth where you you could die in birth, obviously much more likely than now. But the way it had been thought of was not that birth was a medical issue. It was a natural thing that happened. And, right. so you didn't go th- and it also was like there wasn't I imagine hospitals weren't run with like emergency services. Like right. it was just like like you said, you went there to die. Yeah. Or if you had nowhere else to go, like there were some hospitals that were just for like people suffering with homelessness exactly. and there was nowhere. Yeah. Exactly. And as women are starting to say they want pain relief, there is more access to that in hospitals. And so initially, the shift to hospitals that we see is a lot more about pain relief than it is about safety. Um, okay. It's just, you know, I want what they have there, not that I feel like I'll have a better outcome there. Right. But we do start to learn about germs, basically, at this point. So pathogens, bacteria, <laughs> etc. Um, right. Which makes a lot of things safer, including surgery. And at the time, most surgeries that are performed are on the abdomen. So C-sections actually became much more possible. They had already been performed for a while without the mother having to necessarily die. Um, like in the times yeah, we were well, talking that's about. A, that's a big yeah. fucking advancement. <laughs> but they become they become slightly more possible. Um, so we see a, a rise in that as well. The problem with all of this, which might to some people sound great, is that uh doctors are more prominent and they're more regulated 
they're still not very well trained, especially mm-hmm. in birth. So that means they they fuck up everything a lot, right? Uh, so yeah. there's a lot of misuse. Which I find ironic since obstetrics was one of the first fucking things put yes. into medical schools. Yep. It was like, no matter what, as a doctor, you're going to fucking have to birth a baby. So you better learn how. And the fact that that isn't the case is mind-blowing. Yeah. So, you know, there there starts to be a lot of this shift, but doctors are still making a lot of errors with forceps. It's still fairly likely to die for you to die in childbirth compared to now, that kind of thing. So then we're going to get into the 1910s. Um, So there's a couple things that happen here. This is actually when the Federal Children's Bureau is established. And that's the first national body in the United States to track mortality during birth. So things like infant and maternal mortality start to actually be documented. That seems like a fun job. Yeah. And again, the there's growth in the first wave feminist movement, which starts to frame pain relief as a feminist issue and advocates for it as a woman's right. Here's where that's going to backfire. Buckle up for this. Do you oh, know fuck. what okay. do you know what twilight sleep is? I think I do. I don't think I understand like all of it, but I feel like I have heard of it okay. and I feel like my great grandmother mm-hmm. experienced this yes. with her first child. Probably. So Twilight Sleep, in 1914, it's brought to the United States. But for about 10 years before that, it had been being used in Germany and a couple other parts of Europe. The very short version of Twilight Sleep is that they give you a medication and you get, you, you're put into a, a sleep slash trance, they called it, but you're not actually fully knocked out, right? So it's not like going under for surgery. Okay. While there, you can feel pain as it happens to you but when the medicine wears off you have no recollection of the experience so So you you, basically you can consciously feel the pain as it's happening but you wake up and you don't remember feeling pain exactly so that's the very short version of twilight sleep i literally hate where this is going (laughs) oh yeah it's bad here's what i found oh shut up siri um, Siri's so like, here's what I found about Twilight right? Sleep. It's fucking bad. <laughs> so the medication used in Twilight Sleep varied kind of across region and by physician. Again, they thought this was something where you could have like your own spin on it, which is probably bad. Um, oh but it basically always contained morphine and then another narcotic. And you would be administered that via an injection. Uh, all the medical reports at the time said it was without danger to the child, um, which is not true. But also they basically didn't mention maternal health, though there was a couple notes that like, oh, her, her, she might experience um, a slow pulse or poor breathing <laughs> or delirium. Oh, so like things that could kill you? Yes. Awesome. But it comes out and they're calling it like a new era for the mother and someone calls it a new era for the entire human race. Women are obsessed with Twilight Sleep. They love this shit. Um, are they actually or are they saying yes. like, is that propaganda? Women actually are when like, When it yeah, first fuck comes yeah. out, yeah. The first woman in the US to use it called it a quote fairy tale. And she stayed at the clinic for a month to keep getting it. Oh, my God. Right? Oh, no. That's called a drug addiction. Yes, exactly. And Oh, no. I mean, what they know is basically, I went to sleep and I woke up and I had a baby. Right? Compared to what they've done before, that sounds great. That's that's literally a quick anecdote. What happened with my great-grandmother? She gave birth to her firstborn, Twilight Sleep. When she woke up, she found out that the baby was actually stillborn. Oh, no. She had no idea, like, because she had no recollection of having the baby at all. And when she was in the ward watching everyone else get their baby. Oh, no. They went to her and they were like, we're sorry. Like, he died. And, like, she had no fucking idea. Like, I I always think about, this is what I know about Twilight Sleep. And it just sounds fucking horrifying. Well, and it also was a nice opportunity to do things like, um 
steal a baby, which happens sometimes, mm. right? Like, or like assault. I don't yeah. want to say that, but well, like, oh. so. Um, oh God, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> while this all, it sounds great, right? In theory, if someone's like, you'll go to sleep, you'll wake up, your baby will be born and you won't remember anything. When twilight sleep was induced, women did not just go to sleep. They basically became feral. <laughs> um, and so what? they would thrash and scream. They're feeling all the pain, but they're heavily drugged at the same time. And so you would thrash and scream. They put them in, <laughs> they basically called them psychotic and they were either bound to the bed with leather or cotton straps, or they would put them in cots that were basically giant cribs to prevent them from rolling out of it. Um, they were usually blindfolded. They would have their ears plugged or their mouths closed in some way to, quote, promote sleep. But it was... Are you fucking serious? Yes. And it, but it also, they would scratch themselves and others. They would tear their <gasps> hair out. They would... <gasps> freak the fuck out right and so oh my god oh my god they basically Ooh, this is like watching like an exorcism yeah it feels like and they basically would put you in one either tie you to the bed or put you in one of these giant adult cribs and let you sit there in your own waist like screaming and thrashing etc until you're ready to give birth oh my god um a lot of people think this is actually one of the origins for fathers not being allowed in the room because they were supposed to believe oh. it was a peaceful sleep, right? When that's not wow. what was happening. And there are old... And not that I, like, support men, but that's pretty fucked oh, up to, yeah. like, to think that you you believe your wife is being taken care of. Yeah. Like, and it's not. Right. Ugh. And there are old stories of, like, you know, they started adding gauze under the leather straps because the men would come in and say, why are there these red welts on my wife? Oh, my God. And so they would, like, put cotton there to prevent them. So this is not a fairy tale. This is, like, not good. Like, it sounds. Fucking nightmare. This is a, this is a grim fairy tale where it right. gets really fucking dark. Well, then, so because you're in that state, the woman couldn't properly push a baby out, right? So that leads to a few things. It meant that when it was time to give birth, you were put on your back in stirrups which was not really the position you gave birth in before. Right. Forceps were heavily used uh. and episiotomies became common practice. <sighs> um, and so, you know, those all made it easy for a doctor to get the baby out without a mother who was actively participating. So basically you're just lying there while this is done to you. I just can't believe like, what's, what's the purpose of this? I mean, like, like, it's like, there's no actual control? pain relief. Yeah. It is control. Yeah. 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 But I, I, like, that's the obvious one. Right. I just mean, like, I just can't fat. This is worse. This oh, yeah. is worse than the natural form of giving birth. Absolutely. And surprise, surprise, babies were usually born breathing very slow. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And this is where it's fucking morphine. You know that kind of image of like a baby is born and the doctor holds it by its feet and slaps its butt? That's yeah. kind of where this comes from, right? Is they needed to induce breathing in the baby. So they would do that to get them to breathe. Oh god, holding it by its feet is like really freaking me out too. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. But then the woman would wake up, you know, a few hours later and almost never recalled any of the events that happened she was just handed a baby that was a few hours old and that was that that also meant at the time wow. you weren't doing things like immediately breastfeeding you weren't doing skin to skin all those things that right. we kind of know now there was no like critical bonding within the first 30 seconds of your child being born yes yeah so that wow. is um twilight sleep kind of what it was um in 1915 you know there's a lot of interest in this right it's introduced in 1914 in the u.s and it becomes like what everybody wants. Yeah. With that, so there's a paper published in 1915 by the Association for the Study and Prevention of Infant Mortality. And 
Dr. Joseph DeLee describes childbirth as a pathologic process, which basically means childbirth isn't a normal function. It's a pathology, right? It's something <laughs> happening wrong with your body. And that, that is why doctors belonged and midwives don't. And this I'm is sorry, that literally makes zero sense. I mean, this <sighs> is still when we get into modern stuff next time, this is still like the crux of kind of the debate in these circles is that doctors see childbirth as a pathology to be solved versus even today, even today. Yes. I mean, an obstetrician is a trained surgeon, right? They're looking for what's going to go wrong. They don't have a ton right. of training in like, quote, normal birth. Um, And there's... The terminology for it, right, like natural birth, normal birth, vaginal birth, the kind of contrast to pathological is physiological birth is what people would call it, okay. right? This is a normal okay. physiological process in most cases, obviously not always. Um, wow. But this is kind of setting the cultural tone, right? It's a pathology. No wonder why you need like a fucking doula or something. Right. Like, I, as a woman, I have never fucking been taught this ever. Yeah. Like I didn't learn this shit in health class no. to like know about the differences. So like you need an advocate who's like an expert in this stuff. Yep. Jesus Christ. And so by 1915, there are five times the number of, quote, baby clinics as there were in 1910. So there's just like a mm. huge explosion of hospital settings where you can give birth. There is sort of a decline in twilight sleep by 1916, so only two years later. Um, this is partially attributed to one high-profile death of an infant who was born with, you know, depressed breathing and didn't make it. Um, but it's mostly because it's a really difficult drug combination. And like I said, doctors mm -hmm. kind of made it up sometimes. And they weren't oh all God. able or willing to do it enough to meet the demand that you saw. Right. Nurses yeah. started helping out. They would have nurses do it, which led to more errors. And like I said, a high profile death that kind of impacted the reputation. And right. literally at the time, 90% of doctors hadn't been trained specifically in twilight sleep. And the ones who were, so they, they would sometimes go to Germany and watch a few instances of it. But in Germany, the training program for this was three years long. So they actually had less bad results there because they were a little bit more regulated. I was going to say, I was like, well, that seems at least yeah, th more it, helpful. Right. Like, the experience even though this whole still fucked sucked, up. but they at least were trying right. to do it, like, quote, the right way. Um, right. But doctors here sucked at it. But that said, twilight sleep was used until about the 1950s. Um, yeah, that's my great grandmother because yeah, my, my grandmother, grandmother was born in the 40s. Yeah, mm -hmm. my dad and his sister were born in the 40s. And I think for at least one of them, she had twilight sleep. So yep, exactly. even though like it only takes two years for this to be like, oh, shit, a baby died. And like, maybe it's not great. It's used for 40 years. <laughs> wow. Um, and even, you know, once it's gone, you know, there comes a point where twilight sleep is not used anymore. It still basically sets the stage for doctors, a.k.a. men in this case, to control mm -hmm. birth, right? It puts it in their hands. You're kind of lying there doing what they want or need. And yeah. it's the reason behind a lot of the practices today that are unnecessary or counterproductive or oppressive or whatever, right? So things like giving birth on your back with your legs in stirrups is almost always a bad position to give birth in. Yeah. But it, it seems started completely counterproductive. Right. But if you're knocked out and useless, it's a great way. And doctors were like, hey, that was a lot easier than having to squat on the floor. So they kept it. Jesus. In addition to trying to to make it about like painless birth, they also start calling talking about sterile birth, which 
obviously an actual sterile birth is good, right? Things like we talked about, like washing your hands and sterilizing your (laughs) instruments and not spreading germs. All of that is good. And at the time, you probably were more likely to get that kind of thing in a hospital, right? I mean, you Mm -hmm. can be very sterile at home, but not everyone necessarily was. Right. Some of it's dumb, though. So things like up until not that long ago, most hospitals required... um, they would come in and shave all your pubic hair. And they called that part of like sanitation, which is not a thing. It's like women haven't been doing this for literally millennia. Like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so they'd be like, well, it's much more sterile, but that's what they meant. And so like, while hygiene is obviously good and I want you to be clean about it, they basically (laughs) are making the argument that it's only possible to be sterile in a hospital and that midwives are dirty, right? So they continue with this like, Midwives are dirty and gross and they'll spread germs. So it's not. Well, it's even like what you said in that picture of the little Nona. And it's like exactly. with filthy customs and practices. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sure she can wash her hands just as well as you can, my dude. I trust little Nona with my life. So. Yeah. And then some of it was um not actual good sanitation practices. So here's one that's um fun. So women were often given a douche that was made from a mixture of bichloride of mercury, which was a caustic and poisonous chemical. And then after that fun douche, she was sprayed down with 1% Lysol. (gasps) Oh! So like, yeah, sure, you're sterile, but I don't like it. (laughs) I don't want it. Oh my god, my entire body just like froze up. Nope, I'll just, I'll get an infection, it's fine. Holy Um, shit. And so this is kind of the like, quote, mystification of medical knowledge, right? The idea that you just trust the doctor because he knows something that you don't. And so you you assume that what they're doing is right for you. And so again, it kind of just leads to this culture where people trust their doctors to control the process. Um, so into the 1920s, you know, they start doing things like forcibly dilating the cervix, um, wow. giving ether. So they're still giving weird drugs that they probably shouldn't. Then they would do an episiotomy, deliver the babies with forceps, manually extract the placenta, and then give you medicine and stitch you up. So they were trying to find things to make it painless, which sounds altruistic, but it wasn't. It was because that's what women wanted and what got them to the hospital and paying them, right? Uh So they were like, well, it'll be painless, but they were also making it easy for themselves. Wow. And so maternal mortality does go down at this time, probably primarily because of like washing their hands. Right. Something as simple like that, that is a good thing to do, reduces those infections. Um, Mm -hmm. Infant mortality still sucks because they're using all sorts of stuff that like is not actually great for babies. Like you're going against the natural process of delivery. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. And so by the time we hit 1930, we're at a 50-50 split between home and hospital birth. And only 15% of births in the U.S. are attended by midwives. So if you remember in... 1900 we were at five percent in hospital so Mm -hmm. there was like a tenfold increase in 30 years holy shit yeah and so that's where i'll kind of end this segment um and next time we'll we'll get into after that but to me like the the 20s era like twilight sleep is the big kind of tenant of it is Mm -hmm. twilight sleep and trying to replicate that which is why i said the whole like autonomy sounds great but this is not what you meant <laughs> this yeah. is not what you yeah. meant. Well, it's like today's autonomy is like not what that was. Yeah, it was just pain relief was seen as feminist in itself, even if it was this. Yeah. Um. So that is Jesus. some fun 
information. Yeah, we also have some more fun information oh, yeah. <laughs> that I totally forgot to talk we about were, at the beginning of this episode because right. I'm trash. No, I forgot so, to. Um, uh, Sarah, would you like to tell everyone the fun information? Yeah, I guess the fun information is that um, I don't have to do any of this even though I am pregnant. So I'm having Woo! I'm having a baby in July. Um, and I'm sure probably when we talk about like the modern stuff, we can get into like my plans or that. But I obviously have a, yeah. have, like, a lean here where I like travel in circles or think certain things. Um, but yes, I'm having a baby in July. Ooh, July is the best month to be born because I was born in July. Well, that's true then. Do you, when's your due date? It's July 1st. So I am assuming July. Oh. Technically, it could be okay. not, but... Could be June. Yeah, but most likely July. That's so exciting. Yeah. We're going to have a little nerd. I know. <laughs> and you just talked for an hour and a half with me about some of the most horrifying I know. This was uh, a long time ago, so. <laughs> right? When we get into the current stuff, yeah. then it'll be more depressing. Yeah, I'm actually kind of scared for next time we talk about this because I truly was like reading the stuff about like old childbirth and I was like this sounds terrible and now that I've listened to what you just said for the last hour yeah. I'm horrified I mean, it's, I'm fucking it's horrified it's better than most of what we just read like it's not literally I'm like maybe I should give birth back in like 16 yeah, no, like um, maybe that's better it is mostly better <sighs> than this Right, like, yeah. besides the, probably besides the midwives being the most prominent, the whole, like, mm-hmm. medical technology stuff is pretty good. Um, yeah. It's just... Washing hands, I guess. Yeah, I thing. like washing hands. Um, big fan of that. Excited for my, <laughs> excited for my doctors to do that. Here at What the History, we do support washing your yes. hands. Especially when you're delivering a child, yes. so... Um, but yeah, so that is half of the history of birth, a thing that I can nerd out about for a long time. Yeah. I am so excited and horrified to get into this next time. I'm so I'm like, hit Um, me up for book recommendations if needed. Don't even worry. Yeah. (laughs) Send us an email. Sarah will answer it and she'll, she'll send you all that she knows. And, um, yeah, that's it. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHistoryPod. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at WTHistoryPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear feedback or episode ideas or anything else you have to say. You can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash WTHistoryPodcast and get exclusive access to even more nerdy stuff. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday when new episodes are released, and we will see you next time.